It is good to be back with you this morning. Uh, I will say this. I did know, Pastor Benny, it was your birthday today. I did notice that they said hundreds of cupcakes, not just, <laughs> right, <laughs> hundreds of cupcakes. I can say that because I'm the old guy now. Here's the thing I would uh, want to say to you this morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, to be back with you today. What an incredible spirit of God that is in this place. And as Pastor Benny has said, uh, we are so honored to be able to be with you uh, and have the opportunity just to share what I think uh, God is saying to us this morning. And so thank you for the privilege uh, that we have. You know, I can, can honestly say that uh, as, as he has said, I feel like that we have been friends. We've been friends of the church for a long time. We've come for several years. And, uh, and here's what I realize. I realize that the Spirit of God is alive. Things are happening, and it's exciting. I'm excited to be here this morning. It is great to have my wife, Denise, uh, with me. We just celebrated 30 years of being married and are super, yes. I am super blessed. I am super thankful uh, to, that she still puts up with me. I just wanna, wanna say that to you this morning. And, uh, and it's just great for us to be able to have the privilege to be able to come and just worship the Lord with you this morning. Uh, I'm gonna uh, share with you a passage. You know, as Pastor Benny was sharing this morning about your Psalm series, and he read Psalm 103, and I stood over there this morning, and I thought, you know, out of all the Psalms, that's my favorite. And I thought this morning, you know, God, you're just saying to us, uh, something special that he wants to do in this place. And so um, this morning, I just want to share with you a story that I recently read, and I thought how appropriate it would be for this morning. Uh, I had never heard about this before, but thought that, hey, what, a, what an impactful thought. I want us to go back in time about 380 years. That's a long time. Share a story about a young boy who was born in a small village called Worsthorpe, England in 1642. Now, I like history, so this particular story kind of stood out to me. This young boy's life couldn't have probably started any worse than what it did. His father died before the boy was even born, and on top of that, the boy was born prematurely, which today is not necessarily as big of a deal or doesn't have to be, but please remember that this was 380 years ago. He was weak, sick, for, and for many, many years, and on top of that, now his young mother was a widow. She was only 19, left in bankruptcy and famine without the possibility of providing for her young family. When the boy was three years old, a priest came from a neighboring village. He proposed to this young mother, who was 22 years old at the time, and the priest was almost 70. Now, don't ask me to explain that. And he asked the young mother to marry him and to move in with him in the other village. But there was only one condition. She couldn't bring the boy. You see, the priest hated the boy. But for some reason, of course, it's hard to understand now really why the young mother accepted his proposal for the sake of financial stability. So she left the small boy to her parents to be raised by them. She got married to the priest and she moved in with him. She didn't even see her son for many, many years. At three years old, the boy felt rejected. You know when those that should love you don't. We all understand what that feels like at times. 
As the boy later became a man, he would write his memoirs and describe how this little boy walked over to the other village and sat down on a hill overlooking the village, looking at the place where his mother was now living with this other man. He would just sit there and hate for hours. He would hate the mother for giving him away and rejecting him. He would hate the priest who took the mother away. He would hate the God that the priest represented. As the years went by, the hate spread into the heart of this little boy. When he started school, he was a very angry child. He would talk back at teachers. He would not learn. He would even bully other students. And this was a big problem for such a small school until one day, when a man moves to the village and becomes a new teacher of his school, Now, history doesn't tell us much about this man apart from the fact that his name was John Houston and he was a devout Christian. And for some reason, John Houston's eyes were fixed on this little boy. Even though he would have such, even though he would have an easier task teaching and tutoring any other student, he just looked at this boy and made up his mind that there's beauty in there somewhere. He was going to do whatever he could to bring that out. A little boy. He started helping him and loving him and listening to him and giving him extra time in his studies. Now, previously, every year the boy's grades had come back saying things like, lazy, will not learn, good for nothing. But as the months turned into years, and as this little boy all of a sudden was shown some encouragement, some love, some appreciation, and prayers, gradually, this little heart, dark heart started to open up. And when it did, to John Houston's amazement, he realized that this little boy had an amazing intellectual capacity. He had great academic potential. As the years went by, it became obvious to the entire school, and all of a sudden, this boy was not a problem anymore. They realized that especially in areas of math and physics, he excelled. When the boy became a young man, it was time for him to graduate from high school. John Houston did everything that he could to make sure that he would go to Trinity College in Cambridge. When he got there partially paid by John Houston himself, every seed that God had planted inside this young heart started to grow and bloom. And after a few years, he was the talk of the university And after yet another few years, he was the talk of the town. And after yet another few years, he was the talk of a nation. Today, he's the talk of the world because his name was Sir Isaac Newton, one of the greatest scientists in human history. But here's what I want us to think about. On his tombstone, true fact, it says, here lies Sir Isaac Newton, a man with an intellect close to divine. Let me read that to you again. Here's, here lies Sir Isaac Newton, a man with an intellect close to the divine. Think about this. One man, two verdicts. One says lazy, idiot, and one says close to the divine. What, what was the breaking point in those two? Think about two stories Two phrases, one positive, one negative. What made one 
one dialogue cease and a new one to appear? What was the transformation from darkness and death to life and light? The answer this morning is one man who accepted his calling to be a spiritual parent to the next generation. As I prayed for today, I thought about, God, what are you saying to the church? And I know that the church is in a season focusing on the book of Psalm, but I also thought about, you know, God, this is an ongoing theme that every church in our network should learn to embrace. Understand the importance of we have a responsibility this morning as men and women, men and women today to stand up and say, God, what can we do to impact the next generation with the message that Jesus is the answer that changes a life? When God speaks to Moses, think about this. In Exodus chapter three, verse 15, he says to him, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. You see, God introduces himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, not only referencing or referring rather to three individuals, but three generations. What he is saying in this verse in Exodus chapter 3:15, I am the God of every generation. This morning, I want to say today, it pleased my heart. And I thought, God, what a beautiful picture of the love of Christ when we can stand here this morning and we can see a stage represented of every generation on the stage. You see, folks, here's what impacts a community. Here's what's going to change a culture right now that is lost and dying without a savior. It's when we realize that what? It's not about, all, it's not about us. It's all about him. When we begin to realize that, well, we don't get to a certain age in the church, and then we say, what, our job is done. You know, our kids, our grandkids, they serve God. They understand a relationship with Jesus, so I'm in retirement. Here's what I realized this morning. There is no such thing as retirement, not in relationship to our, our walk with God that we've got to decide today, God, help us be men and women that value every generation. You see, folks, it's not all about youth. It's not all about kids. It's not all about millennials. It's not all about uh, Gen X. It's not all about uh, the, the baby boomers. You know what? It's about all of us coming together and saying, God, what can we do to impact a community with the message of Jesus? We see it in the relationship between Moses and Joshua in Exodus chapter 33. How Moses comes into the tabernacle and spends time in the presence of God at the end of the day. And I would believe Moses being the pastor, we kind of understand the, the, the children of Israel, probably the pastor of the worst church in history, would probably have liked to go gone to the tabernacle and just spent time with God. But it says this, he was so anxious, right, about the next generation that he brings Joshua along with him. Most scholars believe this, that Joshua was probably about 15 or 16 years old at the time. And Moses introduces the next generation to the presence of God, and in doing so, he's investing seeds that later come into action and start to bloom in the life and the ministry of Joshua much later. We see the same story, the same theme in the story of Eli and Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3. The young boy Samuel is sleeping in the temple. 
He's sleeping in the middle of the night in the temple and God calls out to him Samuel. And Samuel, of course, you know, has heard about God but doesn't know God yet, so he doesn't know how to respond. What do I do with this now? I feel God is calling by name, but I don't know how to respond. What do you think? Thank God in that occasion that there was an Eli there that had experienced the presence of God and responded to him saying, this is the voice of God. God started speaking to Samuel at a very young age, and then we later begin to understand what, that Samuel is the prophet of God that anoints David. And of course, the relationship between Elijah and Elisha, we again see the older prophet being intentional and connecting with the next generation. The word is layered this morning, folks, with examples of abused, neglected, right, imperfect individuals that God has a way of delivering and set free. We read those stories, but here's what I understand about today. We are still all right, abused, neglected, imperfect individuals that God in his love and his mercy chooses to call each one of us and use us, what? To be a representation of Jesus to a world that is lost and dying. How many of us this morning have been free, have been set free, have been transformed by the power of God? Our society would like to place, right, blame on broken homes. We would like to place blame about students today on video, ga- of video games. We would like to place blame on Hollywood, right? We would like to place blame on guns being available. We like to place blame on a lot of stuff. And whenever there's a crisis, right, that happens in our country, that happens in the community, we try to to solve that crisis, right, without turning sometimes to the one that has the answer, right? I can't explain to you last year why a first grader walks into a school and shoots his teacher. I don't get that. I don't understand that. I think it's insane. But here's what I realized. This generation is a generation that the enemy knows that he must get them while he has the opportunity to get them. But we serve a God that is greater, right, than any enemy circumstance or problem that we face. You see, in Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 27, I'm going to read this account. It's a little lengthy, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. When, the, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he said. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out this spirit, but they cannot. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It is often thrown into the fire or water to kill him. But if you could do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him 
and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked like looked the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and stood up. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you, God, that we can look to your scripture. That God, we can be challenged and motivated. God, I ask you to anoint me your servant to speak nothing more, nothing less than you would desire for your people to hear. And that, God, we would be more than just hearers. But, God, you would put into action in each one of us what we need to do. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. I would submit to you this morning, this generation is mirrored in the life of this boy. Throughout scripture, think about this. Jesus takes time to minister to children who have been hurt, wounded, so on and so forth. Seems to me the scriptures talk about having a childlike faith quite a lot. There's a constant tension that we feel between childlike faith versus the challenge, right, in the scripture that Paul says that we should put off childish things. We see it as the idea of maturing, but never losing, right, that childlike awe and wonder. You know, as I'm reaching the prime of my life, I'll say it like that, right, Pastor Benny? As I'm reaching the prime of my life, here's what I realize. I realize I've got a choice to make. You see, when I was a child, I thought like a child, nothing was really super important. I had my little like army men, you know, that I liked to, to play with. You know, to me, excitement was going out in the backyard. My dad built a tree house, believe it or not. I would climb up in the tree and create a world that was completely, you know, separate from the reality that I was living in. To me, to go out and to play with my friends and play with my cousin. That was kind of what, what I did. And then life kind of happened, you know, and you, you get older, right? And then you have responsibilities and you have children to raise and you have a job to do and all of those things. And then you get to that point in life where you finally reach retirement. And I think about that season and I think about there's two kinds of people that I've met at that season of their life. You know, it's the grumpy old people you know, that look like they sucked on a lemon, so to speak. And then you see those sweet, older people full of grace and faith and wisdom. And I think about this and go, God, help me be that kind of person. You know, help me not be the kind of person that sees the world as jaded and lost, but help me to be the kind of person that sees the world full of hope, full of joy, there's a difference you see in the scripture between being childish and having a childlike faith. We all know that when a baby is born, I remember this so vividly, and I thank God today that we're so beyond that season. <laughs> but I remember when babies are born, right, the world evolves around their needs, you know, a baby doesn't care like, you know, if it's time to eat. The baby doesn't care if it's time for you to sleep. You know what I'm saying? The baby doesn't, when a diaper needs changing, a diaper needs changing. I remember Denise and I would walk into restaurants with, with our daughter and our son and we would sit down or we might be with guests or we might be with a pastor and we would sit down and inevitably when we would sit down, somebody had to go to the bathroom. Somebody had something going on. 
I'll never forget vividly one day we sat down after a Sunday morning service and I remember in particular, you know, our daughter, she, she traveled well. She, she embraced the life of, you know, the call that we, that we were walking into and our son was just full-blown wild. <laughs> and I remember we would sit down in a restaurant and one particular Sunday, it had been a long day and Ryder wakes up from a nap and about the time we sat down to eat. And he's, you know, doing his thing and knocks the drink off the table all down the front of Denise's dress. And I remember that so vividly and it was so awkward and we were so embarrassed. But here's the thing, he was just ready to eat. Just that simple. See, see, when, when childishness, right, is that everything evolves around their needs, their wants. And that's natural. But if you're 30 years old, and you're still like everything evolves around you and your needs and your wants, there's the problem. You haven't developed really a childlike faith. You're still living in a pattern that is very childish. I watch social media posts sometimes and I think, you know, we have become a culture today that feels like it's our right to share anything that we wanna share and to put it out there. It's our right to share our truth. And all the while, here's what I realized, we have become a culture that is very selfish. But see, God's way is putting off selfish and, and putting on selflessness. When we say, you know what, we're going to die to ourself, right? We're going to die to our own needs, and we're going to realize that there's a community that is desperate, needing an answer, and the answer is Jesus Christ. We have to be willing to step out of our own comfort zone and step into a world full of pain around us. You see, in this particular story that I read you this morning, Jesus had just returned from the mountain of transfiguration. There on that mountain, Jesus revealed his glory, and Peter and James and John, they witnessed a revelation of Christ, and now they were entering a crowd that was arguing over what to do about a boy in crisis. And when I read this, I thought, God, isn't that sometimes so typical of every one of us? We come in church on Sunday and we experience God's power and we experience his touch or we come to a Sunday night worship encounter and we experience the love of God and then we walk out and then Monday morning happens and it seems like what? That all hell has broke loose in your life. It's kind of the same scenario here. You know, here they come down the mountain, think about it, from this experience, and now the people are there and they're arguing over what to do with this boy. Here, here's what I would say to you this morning, four things very quickly. Number one, we will be moved by confusion or we'll be moved by compassion. We have tried to reach this generation too long out of confuse, confusion. When we don't understand this generation, we don't understand, and I'm not, I'm not professing to understand either, but we can respond out of confusion, or we can say, you know what, God, help us be men and women that have a heart of compassion. Jesus' response to the Father in this passage is how long has he been like this? And then he says, bring the boy to me. I think about that scripture that says, come unto me, all of you, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sometimes the greatest thing that we can do 
is say, God, even though we don't understand our circumstance, we know a God that does. We serve a God that is faithful. And when the enemy would say, you will not be successful, we can say greater is he that lives within me than he that's in this world. We can have a hope in knowing that God is with us and we can respond realizing what? That we have a choice to make. Will we respond out of confusion or will we respond out of compassion? Number two, we must expose the enemy's plan. You see this morning, I want to say, this to you. The enemy seeks to enter any generation from its childhood. Now, regardless of your theological view of this account here, I'll say this to you. The enemy wants your children. The enemy wants every generation. And as a church, we need to begin to wake up and realize what that this generation today, that they are paying the price for our sin. I know that can be tough to swallow, but I don't want to look at this generation and just go, well, they're lost, they're hopeless. I want to look at this generation, and first of all, I want to understand this, that, you know, the the old saying that the compromise of the parents will be the standard for their children. Think about that for a moment. The compromise of the parents will be the standard of their children. And I think here's what I know today. I know this, without the love of a savior and without God entering the scene and without me being willing to say, God, even though I don't understand God, I'm bringing you my children because I realize this, without you, they are lost and hopeless. So today, if you're in that situation, here's what I know. The greatest thing you can do is embrace 21 days of prayer. The greatest thing that you can do is say, you know what, God, this year I'm committing to praying for my children more than I ever have before. Number three, we need a revelation of God. We cannot believe in this generation. We must believe in the Christ of all generations. Here's what I realized this, when it seemed hopeless, what this father brought his son, and when Jesus entered the seed, something changed in the life of the son. Throughout scripture, we see it happen again and again, right? When, When Saul is encountered by Christ, his name changes to Paul, right? When Peter experiences Christ, something changes. When Mary Magdalene experiences Christ, something changes. And we can understand today what? That when God shows up in our circumstance, everything changes. We sung about it this morning. Number four, we need a new perspective for the next generation. You see, what I love about this scripture, this text, is what the world sees as death, Jesus sees as the beginning of, of a new destiny for the next generation. You see, the people thought this this young boy was dead, but yet when Christ came into the scene and reached out and touched him, everything changed in that life of the boy. The story says what? That the boy stood up. See, here's what I know. Your circumstance, there could be things that right now look like death. You could say there's a situation in my life that right now looks like death. But I serve a God that comes into situations, no matter what they look like, and when he is able to touch it, it can come to life. So you may say today, you know what, my situation is hopeless. We never know in the room who may be here this morning, and they may say, you know, my situation is hopeless. And I'm coming to church today, and I'm sitting in this room just hoping that somehow, some way, God will speak to me. 
Church, I want to tell you this. Anytime in the scripture, when Jesus showed up, something changed. Anytime in scripture, when Jesus walked into the room, there was a transformation. Somebody's life was changed. Jesus would walk into it, and the scripture tells us that Jesus would walk into crowds of thousands. And he had the most unique ability to focus on the one. See, I'm convinced today that the New Testament, yes, it talks about the thousands that he ministered to, but there's a whole lot of encounters about when Jesus touched the one. This morning, you could be here today and you could say, John, I feel lost. I feel hopeless. Here's what I wanna say to you this morning. The greatest decision that I've ever made in my life was the decision when I said, Jesus, I don't know what else to do. I need you. That's simple. We make sometimes a walk with Christ super complicated. We try to make it into something and and we try to think, you know, I'm gonna clean myself up and I'm gonna be worthy enough or holy enough or righteous enough and then Jesus will love me. That's not what the scripture talks about. In fact, I think Jesus sometimes He went against those that thought they were so holy, so pious, so righteous. I think the thing that we realized this morning is that we can cry out to Christ and he can touch us right where we're at. So this morning, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond in that way. See, here's why I still believe, I still believe the greatest thing that I can do is invest in the next generation. I still believe the greatest thing that Denise and I have given our lives to give those that may not have a voice a voice. I realize today that student ministry and kids ministry, you know, they're not tithe payers. (laughs) They're not gonna, they're not decision makers in the church. I get it. But I know this, sometimes they're the ones in the room that have the least voice. And my thought is, you know, God, what we really need as churches is to say, God, if we want to experience the awakening that we know is happening, then we've got to be willing to say, God, we're going to give generation after generation after generation. We're going to make sure they always have a voice. We're going to make sure they always have a platform. We're going to make sure that they're always up here worshiping Jesus. They may not worship the way that we worship. And you know what? Jesus in the scripture, he touched people very uniquely again and again and again. And he did all kinds of things that we would look at today and think, you know, that pastor's nuts. I mean, he would spit in dirt and put it in people's eyes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he would do all kinds of stuff. And here's what I know. God and his love has come today to remind you he loves you. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you will, to stand to your feet all over the room and... I want us to pray in this way. You could be here this morning and you could say, today I need to know that Jesus loves me. Today I came in this morning, yes, I may know about him. And that's a difference there. There's a lot of folks in our world that know about Jesus. That's the reason why they take his name in vain so much. They know about Jesus, but they may not have a relationship with Jesus. See, you can come to church every Sunday 
and you can know about him, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a relationship with him. What changes things is when you develop that relationship. What changes things is when you say, Jesus, in my weakness, you are strong. What changes things is when you're able to say, God, I'm not perfect, but I know the one that is. And I'm gonna call out to him in those moments of weakness and I'm gonna trust him. And so if you're here this morning and you say, John, I wanna be in relationship with Jesus, that's simple. I just want you to raise your hand, put it back down. I wanna give anybody an opportunity. I, I felt like God said to me many, many, many years ago, don't ever speak that you don't give a people an opportunity to accept Jesus. If you've never accepted him and you want to, I just want you to put your hand up, put it back down. I'm only gonna wait a moment. Second thing is this this morning. If you're here and you say, you know, this morning I realize that I need to be reminded of the next generation. I've got a, a son, daughter, spiritual son, spiritual daughter. I've got someone in my life and they need a father figure, a mother figure that will carry them to the Savior, so to speak that will intercede for their need in their moment. Today, I don't know about you, but I've always got somebody that I'm praying for in regards to that. And so today, I just want us to pray one for another today. And I want us to be able to say, you know what, God, in the midst of, of doing life, may we be reminded that our responsibility is to carry the next generation our responsibility is to say, God, it's just not about us. It's not about all of us. It's about you. So what we do, may it always be about you. May we lay down right selfishness. And when we may embrace the idea that, that God is the reason while we breathe, he's the reason why we exist. And he's called us to go out from here and to go to our jobs and go to our schools and go to our places of engagement and say, God, what can we do to be a representative of Jesus? What can we do to be a representative of Christ to those that are in need? That's what your challenge is for the week. Think about the one person, the one person that comes into your life this week that needs somebody to offer them a word of hope. And then do it. Step out on a limb. Offer them a word of hope. Offer them the knowledge of Jesus. And let's trust God that we're going to continue to be a reflection of Jesus to people that we come in contact with. So let, let, let's pray together. Can we do that? So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, if you will. I'm going to ask you if you're comfortable, just, you know, stretch out your hand and touch the person beside you. You know, if you're not, that's okay. But if you are, I'm going to ask you just to do that so we can agree together. And then I'm going to pray. And then the team is going to lead us this morning in a, a, a song as we transition today, but let's pray one for another. Lord, today, God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you, Lord, in this room today that there are those that have sons and daughters, nieces and nephews, grandsons, granddaughters, people in their lives that desperately need an encounter with you. So God, we link arms one with another and we say, God, we embrace the call that it's our responsibility to rescue the next generation. That we embrace the call to say, God, what can we do to be a missionary to the place that we work? 
God, what can we do to be a missionary to the campus that we go to this fall? God, what can we do to be the voice and be a reflection of you to people that desperately need the encounter of a Savior? God, I ask you today, Lord, for those that have brought in burdens and needs that are so desperate, that God, this this day they would sense, God, a changing happening in their life, and they would sense, God, the love of a Savior and realize that what, Lord, we, we link arms together today, not just in the habit that we do, but God, we link arms together today because we realize that we are not in this alone. But God, we walk forward embracing your call. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.